Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday. Is it really Friday the 13th? I just realized that as I looked at the calendar. Friday, May 13th. We are here live. We are opening the phone lines right now. Calls are already starting to come in. I love that, so jump in quickly. 855-950-3835. It is trucking technology and efficiency today, except we only have two musketeers today, or two stooges, I guess, depending on how you look at it. John is off racing somewhere or helping somebody race somewhere, and Joel and I will be manning the controls today. So it is a uh, trucking technology and efficiency, but we also kind of make that a free-for-all. We can talk about whatever you want. It's Friday. We can cut loose a little bit. We can get weird. We can have a little fun, and we can be serious at the same time. So line up your calls, whatever you've got, 855-950-3835. I'm just going to bring Joel right in for the open, and we can just jump right into stuff. Joel, welcome back. Uh, that's right. It's Friday the 13th. What do you expect, right? <laughs> Friday the 13th. I'm on, I got my eyes out for any slashers in the neighborhood just in case. I know it's a little early, but you never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, this is true. <laughs> I haven't seen anybody with a hockey mask yet, so I think we're okay. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so we're out of the canoe in the middle of the lake and you'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> uh, right. Just south of, just just south of Memphis, um, I done a uh, eighteen drops and one pickup around Texas doing furniture, and so I've got eight returns in the nose, and I'm headed to Tennessee to pick up a two stop um, combining some parcels on here going back home. So, man, you're you're killing busy, it with this one. Busy week. Yeah, that's. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's a high revenue load. I mean, there are a lot of work, it's a lot of logistics, it's a lot of coordination, but boy, when you can put stuff like that together, the revenue is awesome. And, and you know, the first thing I get when I post my fuel mileage numbers, if you wouldn't run cheap freight, you wouldn't have to worry about fuel mileage. <laughs> I, just, I just got a lot of it. Just, hey, it just kills me. <laughs> hey, I, um, I, I know it's been a long time since I've been in truck driving school, but was there some rule that I missed that you're not allowed to pull good paying freight and cut your expenses? You're not allowed to do both at the same time? Is that some rule I missed? Yeah, I think there's some law against it, I guess. I don't know about but man, I'm hearing a lot of that lately. It's just, it's absolutely crazy. We've got $6 a gallon diesel fuel and guys are still insisting that you don't have to pay attention to your number one expense. It just blows my mind. I, I, I just saw, and we're going to see a lot of this, I just saw somebody complaining about a broker load that the broker was trying to take 35% of the load. The load was Denver to Kansas City paying $750. Isn't that like 600 miles? I know it seems like they're not that far apart, but I think that's quite a trip there. And that's a ridiculously low rate. Right. Right, but yeah, no, no doubt. Nobody uh, was talking about. There's a lot of about, that spot market stuff. That, yeah, and and mm-hmm. here's their answer. 
And look, if, if this is how you think you're going to fix this, knock yourself out. But their answer is just stop pulling that freight. Well, I've never understood how does that work. So if we stop pulling the freight, <laughs> they offer a little more because they need to. And if nobody takes the load, sure, they're going to bump up the rate. But then what happens when somebody jumps back in and says, okay, I'll take it now. And then everybody else who sat out right. also needs to go get a load somewhere. They, they not understand you can't really manipulate supply and demand. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's part of it, I guess. I mean, I, I hear that all the time too. And it just artificially trying to, to uh, manipulate the, the actual number of trucks out on the road isn't a good idea. It just never works. Yeah, you know, the the example I give, and I know it's a little simplified, but it's probably not a bad time to start thinking this way again and talking about this kind of stuff. If, you know, we I always use Miami because Miami's known for not having any freight, and the rates are typically low, and you just need to understand why it's not complicated. Miami consumes a lot more than they produce in that they're, they're at the end of the line. Nothing goes through there. So everything going to Miami is freight being delivered. And then that means there's a lot of trucks there because they consume a lot of stuff. They get a lot of deliveries every day. They don't produce a lot. So there's not much coming out. It's like one of the best examples of supply and demand. And I've, I've used the example, let's say that we know there are only five trucks in, in Miami today. And all five of us with all five trucks, we're sitting at the same truck stop. Now, unfortunately, there's only one load on the board, and that would equate to a five-to-one ratio, trucks to loads, that, that kind of stuff we've seen at times. So all five guys are sitting there. Now, this, they think this will be the perfect situation. We're all here. We're talking. That broker can't screw us. We're not taking this load mm. until, it, let's <laughs> say it's, he's listed it for a buck fifty a mile today, and all five agree we're not taking this load till it gets to 250 screw him and he's going to have to pay us because we're not moving that load so the broker finally realizes hey nobody's biting at a buck 50 so he posted at a dollar 75 or two these guys hold out we're not we're not doing a thing till that load gets to 250 so finally the broker he's got to move the freight he raises the price to 250 now you've got five guys all running for the phone because they all need a load. Yeah. So this, now, this is true. And, and, and here's what happens. Mm -hmm. it, technically, this is how it all works in the real world. The first guy that gets through says, I'll take that load for 250 30 seconds later, when the second guy calls the broker and the broker says, I already moved it, the guy says, I'll do it for 225 and then the next one's going to do it for two bucks. And then the other guy's going to go, I got to get fuel to get out of here. And pretty soon it's paying a buck 50 again. Yeah, that that that's exactly right. And you know, kind of another way that that I tend to look at. It, I don't know if this is the right way or not. I mean, look, I, I I do what I consider is right. I slow my truck down. I get better fuel mileage. I don't idle at night. My expenses are are pretty damn low. I can haul haul freight at a cheaper rate than a lot of guys, and still make decent money doing it. And, uh, you know, why should I take it on a chin? Cause a guy wants to buy a, a great big long nose Pete with a 700 horsepower engine in it and all the Chrome and all the, the bullshit on it. Um, when I can operate just fine at say 
two ten a mile and, and he's going broke. And, and so you, you run into that as well. I mean, there, there's no sense of me sitting on the sideline because somebody else wants to be cool. I, I just don't see why I would do that. You shouldn't do that. And if we want to really talk about numbers and cheap freight, well, then let's talk about the right numbers. Because do any of us get to keep that gross money? No, that, that's not how much no, money no, we never. make. That's just what the load pays. Who cares? I know you need to know the number. You try to get the best rate you can. But if we're going to talk about who's really pulling cheap freight, what we need to look at is let's look at the net. Okay, Joel pulled this load at 225 a mile. And this other guy says, I'll never pull less than 250 a mile. Okay, you pull your load at 250. Joel, you pull it at 225. Let's look at the net. And I can tell you right now, with fuel prices and you getting yeah, yeah, 10 right. plus miles to the yeah. gallon, he's pulling the cheap freight, not you. Yes, that's exactly right. So on this load that I just ran to Texas, I know there were a couple other guys that looked at that. And I know these guys get five and a half and six miles a gallon. They've got the old school truck laid out. They've got, you know, the big turbos and all the bullshit on it. And they get, they get five and a half, six miles a gallon. That's what they get. I'm going to turn 11 miles a gallon on this turn. <laughs> I have no problem making money doing this at all, especially at six miles a gallon. So I'm almost doubling them up in fuel miles. And think about that, what that does to your bottom line. And you're exactly right. It's, it's, is it really who's hauling cheap freight or who can't manage their business? It, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, to that, and, that's and, what it boils down to. And, and a, a lot of people are going to hate me for saying that, but that's the bottom line. Well, well wait a minute. I, I mean, if you but, can't operate efficient, efficiently when things get tight, uh, whose fault's that? And and let's let's take it a little further. What is everybody in the country talking about right now? Inflation. Yeah. Inflation. Inflation, yeah. 40 years, we've never seen anything like it inflation and shortages both at the same time which is really scary i just read an article they are predicting we may see diesel fuel rationing this summer on the east coast you know i i saw that and i got to thinking to myself i can make an east coast turn without having to buy fuel <laughs> and i'm almost kind of waiting on that <laughs> Because I, I, I can get to New England and back and not have to buy. So I can I can fuel at the yard and, and so, uh, probably clean house on this stuff. Yeah. So, you know, people like us who have been working for years to try to make trucking more efficiency, groups like NACFI, that is, NACFI stands for, isn't it, the National... Council for Freight Efficiency. North American North Council America. for Freight Efficiency. Council yes. for Freight Efficiency, yes. exactly. They should be the heroes right now because everything a- that you buy great group. got put on a truck somewhere and that added to the cost. And we know that's part of what's driving the cost up so much, our shipping cost. When you look at what we talk about on this show, what NACFI tests and talks about, We don't talk about taking cheap freight or lowering freight rates, but if we were all to agree, it would be awesome if we could net, oh, 75 cents to a dollar a mile as owner operators. That would be great. And And the way to do that is if we have inflation 
and we're so efficient, we can offer our customers a lower rate. Let's not call it a cheaper rate. It's a lower rate, but we still make more money. Isn't that a win-win for everybody? The shipper wins. Inflation will start to come down because we took at least one of the costs in the supply chain and lowered it. And yet we still made more money than the average truck on the road. How could that ever be a bad thing? No, I, I agree. And, you know, that's kind of the way that I've always looked at it. And just, I don't know, you kind of look at what the crowd's doing and do just the opposite. Generally, they get it wrong, you know, and, you, you know, where everybody just wants to go out and, and bitch and complain rather than sit down and figure this out. I, you know, I, when did we become such a country of whiners and bitchers? I, I just, know. I don't get it. And in, in the past, you always just went out and you, you had this obstacle in your path and you just, you know, you figure out how to get it done. And, and now it's so much about, well, I don't feel like driving that slow or that's not what I want to do. Well, it's never what you want to <laughs> do. It's what you have to do and what makes sense. And, sure. and people, it's just lost on people. Most people, if I can't drive 75 mile an hour, I ain't, I ain't running a truck. Well, why? Yeah, exactly. Why, why don't you adapt to market conditions? That's, that's, that's what a trucker does. They adapt to the market. They get efficient. They, they do what needs to be done, not what they want to do. Yeah, and I, I don't know. It just seems like over the years that that concept's just been totally lost on the industry. I, I agree. Let's, I'll, I'll take out the word trucker and just put in entrepreneur. That's what entrepreneurs do. That's what business sure. owners do. You adapt. And let, let's go back a second. If, if, if as an industry we're seen as bragging about all the high rates, and I was excited when we had high rates too. It's about time. That was, it was an awesome time. There was a lot of money to be made. Um, I remember, you know, back then they were making fun of the brokers. Oh, I just hang up on those guys. I sure. don't even talk to them. Uh, I have all the freight I need. I don't need. Okay. Now that's certainly changing, but let's think about it. If we're an industry that's bragging about how much money we're making, we're not willing to slow down. We're not willing to cut cost. We're burning through fuel because look, they give us a fuel surcharge anyway. Well, that fuel surcharge comes from yeah. the consumer. <laughs> Somebody has to pay that. And all we're really right. saying, if that is your mindset, I don't care about fuel cost. I'm just going to charge more. I get a high enough rate. I can deal with it. All you're saying is I'm screwing the consumer and I'm making the oil companies richer. Because that's who gets yeah, the excess profit you, you, in this calculation hey, are the oil exactly companies. Exactly right. You're, you're taking money from the consumer and you're handing it to a big oil. That's exactly what you're doing. And, and people just, they don't get it. And, you know, how many times have you heard, well, if they slow trucks down, inflation's going to go through the roof. But taking that fuel surcharge and passing along to the to big oil, that's not making inflation go up, right? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same thing. It's just, you know, let's be a little bit smarter about what we're doing here and, and uh, you know, kind of use our head. I walked around a truck stop last night after I got parked. 70% of the trucks were sitting there idling last night. Oh. Um, it was a little warm, but it wasn't, wasn't horrible. It, it rained, so it cooled down. It was 93 during the day, but it was, it was maybe 80 last night, 81. It was a fan. I mean, I've got obviously my solar and my electric, so I just fired that up. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, for that six six dollars a gallon, and guys idling trucks and still running seventy five mile an hour, to me, is mind blowing. I can tell you, when I first got in the industry, if fuel would move, you know, twenty five cents, everybody slowed down. 
they just did. That's just the way it was. And today, nobody slows down. So I, I you know, I, I don't get it really, but it is what it is. Uh, you know, and it does. It seem creates like, a lot of opportunity for me. Yeah, well, exa- yeah, exactly. Which is a good thing. Yeah. There's there's a ton of opportunity yeah. coming. There's some rough times. There's no doubt about it. They won't be nearly as rough if you adapt and change and adjust. And then the the good side of that is when there are tough times, there are always opportunities too. But if if all you're yeah, doing that, that, yeah. is complaining and blaming it on the brokers and running faster because you think that's going to make up the deficit, um, there, you won't have any opportunities. You'll be lucky to make it through this. You know, I, I, yesterday, I actually tried to be a little optimistic yesterday. I looked at some of the numbers and I saw some bumps in rates recently, a little bit, and it, it could be that it's seasonal. You know, we always talk about the 100 days of summer and trucking. A lot more beverages are being shipped. A lot more construction's going on. We usually have pretty good times in the summer. And looking at the data over the last couple of weeks, I thought we were kind of seeing that bump. Um, but today, Freight Waves put out some pretty good data Um and it's not looking good at all. It's looking like we might not even see that seasonal bump, that spot rates are dropping faster than we thought. Uh, sometimes in, in conditions like we have, the one, prices are so volatile, it's hard to keep up with them. And two, it's happening so fast that Sometimes even looking at the data every day, you can't see the big picture. It, it's, but it's starting to materialize. And at the same time, I mean, truckload rates are, are tanking again. I don't know if we're going to see that bump. At the same time, we actually have a record high diesel price. And they're talking about diesel shortages. One of the things they actually said that, that's working in our favor uh, is the fact that, and, and you probably have some experience with this, fleets that have been ordering trucks for the last couple of years, they're not getting the trucks they order. And if they were, this would be worse. If they were getting the trucks that they ordered, they're not going to buy new trucks, park them on the yard and let them sit there. They, they put them to work. And if they could get more trucks, there'd be even more capacity on the road right now and rates would be even lower. Yeah, I'm just trying to get a handle on the disconnect here. You know, we've had such strong rates in the spot market for so long. And I think a lot of small fleets and owner operators just totally divorced themselves from working with people that had contract rate because they were, you know, just going to run and gun for that big dollar. And now you've got a lot of of smaller fleets, which make up the majority of capacity on the road that heavily rely on that spot market. Um, contract freight has been pretty steady. In fact, ours is, has been very strong, actually. And, you know, I, I wonder what's going to happen here as these prices spike. Yeah, I think there's going to be a bloodbath in, in the spot market side of things. Uh, there's a big bubble there, and it's going to wash a lot of people out, I think, fairly quickly. So I think we're going we're gonna to lose some capacity pretty quick. And I, I don't know how that's going to impact the market. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But that may 
softened the blow somewhat just because we've had all these independents and, and smaller fleets just running so hard on the, the spot market side. They're going to wash out pretty damn quick. Yeah, and here's some numbers that, that really kind of pointed out. Matt ran these for me and just sent them over to me. So you just mentioned on this run, you should finish this run right at about 11 miles per gallon. And just so people know, mm-hmm. those are accurate numbers. You've been doing this a long time. You don't throw out numbers just because you went from, good example, my last load I just talked about, Denver to Kansas City, all downhill with a tailwind. Um, that's not how you report. This was a multi-stop load. You're multi-stop on the way back, and all said and done, you're going to be right around 11 miles to the gallon. At $6 fuel, which is... You know, we're, we're just about there. At $6 fuel, your fuel cost per mile, this is shocking to me. I wouldn't have come up with this in my head. I wouldn't have thought that, that this was right. But now I look at it, it makes sense. Your cost per mile is 55 cents on fuel. At $6 a gallon, mm-hmm. that's incredible. At six miles mm-hmm. to the gallon, that cost goes to a dollar a mile. And at five miles to the gallon, it's a dollar twenty-five a mile instead of fifty-five cents. Yeah, mile yeah. after mile yeah, yeah, after I, I, mile. Here's what I want people to do: if you're running around getting somewhere between five and six miles to the gallon, I want you to hold a dollar bill out the window and drop it every two miles. <laughs> That's about it. And so I'm going to have roughly. 5,200 miles on this turn. Um, so yeah, look at, look at what it does. <laughs> look at what it does to your bottom line on that, on that turn. That's a, that's a big deal. It's, a real big deal. It's huge. And then we've talked about speed impacts, maintenance, probably much more than we've ever thought. Yeah, there is no doubt, especially on the emission engines. Anytime you can keep the RPM under 1300 RPM, where we can really start to, you know, match the horsepower required to the horsepower produced closer, um, we start to significantly drive down emission system problems because we're keeping that heat in the engine, in the combustion process. Um, things get really clean then, and we, we have less uh, DPF issues, um, way less. Uh, so there's that also, you know, I, I caught a lot of heat on my way down. I've been posting my receipts and describing the trip as I'm going down and everybody's like, Whoa, as soon as you get into California or into Texas running 55, you're going to get run over. That absolutely was not the case. I had zero issues with that. Um, I kept it, you know, in the right-hand lane, let everybody pass me. I had nobody almost ran into me. It was never any close calls. I was able to maintain a plus four-second gap between me and the vehicles in front of me on average, and that's calculated through my driver eye tool. Here's something I'm going to tell you that, that is just shocking to me, and, and I thought I was a pretty careful driver until I got a hold of this driver eye. My average gap was running about 3.6 seconds right off the bat. So I had to adjust my style somewhat to get that four plus seconds that everybody wants for optimal safety. If everybody on the road done that, there would be zero accidents. I mean, it's a crazy distance. The other thing I can tell you is as you speed up, 
it's almost impossible to maintain that gap. And at 70 to 75 mile an hour, there's no way that you can maintain a four second gap average. It just, you, it, you cannot do it. I have a hard time at 62 maintaining that gap. You know, you just, uh, you brought up two points I want to touch on there. I'll take that one first. Uh, back in 01, we're talking over 20 years ago now, I spec'd a new truck with the Eaton Vorad system and Smart Cruise. They mm-hmm. existed back then. They were mm-hmm. available on trucks. I thought it was incredible technology, and it was one of the first years you could get it. it mine was almost trouble-free. One of the first things I noticed, it's got the forward-looking radar, and it's got the side radar on your right side. The forward-looking does mm-hmm. like the driver eye calcul- calculates your following time. You didn't get a bunch of data out of it back then, but it, it mm-hmm. based everything on following time. And that changes, obviously, with speed. Mm -hmm. It was really accurate. And the first thing I noticed, the first week I drove the truck, I was a little annoyed because the warning buzzer kept going off. Well, then it dawned on me. Hey, dummy, they've calculated this stuff way better than you can do in your brain. And if that warning buzzer is going off, it's because you're following too close. That's the whole point. Uh, (laughs) You're a you're 100% right, and drivers get into these, and they're like, oh, that thing's a piece of junk, and I'll admit it irritated the hell out of me, but you got to look in the mirror and say, hey, I'm just doing this wrong, exactly. you know, and when you back off, it doesn't scream at you, it's not a problem, in fact, it starts to become your best friend, and um, yeah, I, I, I love the system now, when I first got into it, I, I just hated the damn thing, but uh you know, my driving style needs a little bit of work, and, and uh, I got it figured out now, and it, it's flawless. And, Joel, I have a feeling in your mind at some point you went through the same thing I went through, the thought, and I hear this from a lot of people. When, when that buzzer started going off all the time and annoying me, at first, and in my mind, I know it's telling me I'm traveling too close. In my mind, wanted to say, "Oh, screw that thing! You've been driving a million miles. You never ran into the back of anybody." Yeah, right? yep, yep, yep. That that yes, that is your very first thought. What the hell does this thing know? Right. I've been doing this, you know, for forever and a day, and it's not going to tell me what to do. listen to the technology. They got this stuff figured out. They just do. It's it's simple math, really. When it comes down to it, they know the weight of the vehicle. They know how fast you're going. They know how long it's going to take you to stop. Yeah, and um, it's, it's that simple. All it takes is one of those times where something somewhere else catches our attention. We look, really bad timing. Right when we look, the car, the vehicle in front of us has to slow down for some reason. It, 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 all I could say is in a million miles, I just got lucky a lot, it, which is most of us. We, we just don't run into those situations. And if you're a good driver, you know, you make up for it here and there. But it wasn't a big deal to create just a little bit more space. It's not like it took anything out of my day. I'm not going to miss one delivery because of this. I'm still traveling at the same speed before. I'm just creating more space. And like you said, you create enough space, we would cut those accidents down so far. Uh, One other thing, because I used to hear this all the time. I used to tell people I did most of my million miles at 57 miles an hour. That, that was just the speed I chose, mostly because the first fuel-efficient truck I bought was speed-limited at 57 miles an hour. Swift used to do that back in the early 90s. Um, and sure. people would say, oh, you're dangerous. You're, you're, somebody's going to run into you. Well, nobody ran into me at all those times either, but let's think about it. 
where we have these crazy high speed limits of 80 miles an hour out west, it's on roads that are flat and straight and I can see a long way. Right. <laughs> this is this is exactly the point I was making between San Antonio and Midland. There's not a lot out there. It's 75 and 80 mile an hour. I was running 55, and nobody ever came close to me. What, Virtually no traffic to, to begin with. Right. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And if if they're not paying attention, and you're in a wide open spot like that, and they run into the back, well, shame on them. Exactly. You know, I, I mean. I, uh, you want me to run 80 mile an hour and go bankrupt so somebody not paying attention doesn't run into the back of me. Come no. on. Let, let's compare I, that. I don't, I don't get it. Let's compare that mm-hmm. to where we see the biggest speed differentials. And that's what they're trying to say. These speed differentials are unsafe. Well, where we see the biggest speed mm-hmm. differentials is on long pulls that are usually not straight, They usually have all kinds of blind curves and twists and bends, and we've got trucks down to 25 and 30 miles an hour and cars still traveling 65, and we don't see cars running into trucks on hills all the time. No, yeah, you're exactly right. You're 100% right. When I first broke into trucking, I went to work for Cam Lehman for a while, and they had some major safety issues to the point where the government came in and kind of took control of them because they were a hazmat carrier. And they sent us all through this hardcore safety training. And this was coming right from the federal government that said, slow down, traffic that's moving or pulling away from you is less dangerous than you running in a group. (laughs) And they are exactly right because it's so hard maintain second distance when you're running in the group things tighten up tighten up tighten up and this is why we see all of the accidents these major pile-ups in the winter time you know people are just driving too fast for conditions they don't have that four plus second following distance you know early on in my career and and you probably have seen the same thing do you ever recall the massive pileups that we see today, you know, yeah. back in the, the no. late eighties, early nineties. No, but I, and speed limits were much lower back then. Hey, hey, Joel, if you go on social media, though, there's a very clear reason that um, that happens now. And I'm kind of saying this tongue in cheek um, those, <laughs> because those, we, we don't have a CV, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we don't have a CV. Uh, yeah. yeah, these pileups are only because you're not on the CV. Well, wait a minute. I, if we haven't already pissed off enough people and enough veteran drivers, this will probably do it. You know, one of the criticisms I see of new drivers constantly oh my God, I can't believe they depend on that stupid GPS. Why don't they get a map? Why don't they learn to to know where they're supposed to go? They trust that GPS. Well, aren't you telling me you do the same thing with a CB? You you can't trust your own driving skills (laughs) enough to know that if conditions are that bad, things are starting to crash. You don't trust your own driving skill enough. You have to depend on a CB. How is that any different than a new driver depending on a GPS? No, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, you know, I, I do not support a, a speed limiters in trucks. I, I think either. you should be able to 
run as, as fast as you want. You know, you should be able to uh, adapt to market conditions, and and speed is part of that. Productivity is definitely part of that. By the same token, as an industry, we got to stop blaming everybody else. We got to look at ourselves and say, what are we doing here? And and I can tell you right now, um, I, I believe that that four second gap between you and the vehicle in front of you is is definitely one of the leading safety indicators. Very hard to do once you get north of 62 mile an hour. You really, really got to work at it to maintain that gap. And uh, at 57, it's just, it's cake. I mean, you, you don't even have to think about it because everybody's constantly pulling away from you. And, and you get better fuel mileage, you're reducing your maintenance cost. And when we're in economic times like we are right now, it, it probably makes sense for a lot of people, even though they may not want to admit it, slowing down probably makes a lot of economic sense for them. Yep. Hey, let's uh, let's move on to some more practical advice for what's coming. Because like you said, entrepreneurs, you adapt to what's coming. It's a whole lot easier to adapt to it the farther down the road you're trying to look. And we look around corners, what, what's really coming. And you and I have been through enough of these cycles to know that there are certain things that are going to happen during this cycle. One of them, almost nobody that signs these things understand how this really works, lease purchases. I have not heard from these guys for about two years for some reason. I, I, it, it's weird when I look back over patterns of calls. This used to be one of my biggest calls. Hey, I'm in a lease purchase. I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. Maybe because they're not struggling right now. I don't know. Maybe rates have been so good and even lease purchase guys have been surviving during this time because I haven't heard from many of them. But here's one of the problems. Mm-hmm. If your goal is to own that truck, and it should be, if you, I, I don't like them. I, I, I don't want to see them banned. There's actually a, uh, the government's forming a task force right now um, to talk about these things. I, and they were ac- asking for applications. I almost applied. The only reason I didn't is because I know working with the government in any capacity for me is just way too frustrating. Um, <laughs> I have a feeling most of my opinions about this topic would be ignored anyway. So, uh, but, but here's what we know. Sure. You don't own that vehicle when you're in the lease purchase. You have no legal rights to that vehicle whatsoever. You are basically renting it. And people say, oh, but there's no risk. It's a walk away. That's the first clue. If you can walk away, so can they. And what that means is you could pay for that truck for three and a half years and have two or three payments left or whatever you might have, and they could cancel the lease at that moment. You have no right to that. You, they, you can't say, oh, no, I only have a couple more payments. Too bad. It says right in your contract. If it's a walkaway lease, either party can cancel the contract within 30 days with no reason. That's a huge risk in any time. And I have had many people who have lost their vehicles over this after paying an awful lot of money. Now, remember, not only were you paying for the vehicle every month, you did all the maintenance on this vehicle. You paid for all the insurance on this vehicle. You took all the risk of this vehicle having some sort of major breakdown. And at any point, they can just cancel it and say, too bad, it's our truck. That's one risk. Mm -hmm. But here's another one we have to be really careful of when times get tough. Are we going to see a lot of trucking companies go out of business, do you think, in the next year or two? Absolutely. 
And if you have a lease purchase with one of those companies, what I've seen happen many times, the driver makes all of his payments. We have no idea what the finance situation is on that truck. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I've heard this happen to a few people where, yeah, they made their payments, but the company didn't, and and uh, they lost their truck, yeah. Yeah, you can't get the title to that truck even though you've made all the payments, you fulfilled everything in your contract, but the carrier still owes $30,000 on that truck. They can't give you a title. They don't right. have it. They have no access right. to it. it. The truck hasn't right. been paid for yet. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And and this is, we're entering into the times where we're going to start to see this happen. You, you're exactly right. Probably two years ago is when we really started to get into this really strong spot market and, and rates have been good across the board, really. I mean, uh, contract rate hasn't been quite as strong, but it's been good. So the, the lease operators, uh, they're loving life, or they have been. Um, let's just hope they know what they're doing now when we, well, we get a pretty strong downturn and, and then they can make it through. And I, and hope that something like this doesn't happen to them. Some of these guys do run a pretty good business in this. They learn, they're looking forward to getting their truck. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden the carrier they work for goes out of business and their truck's just gone. They're, they just, they have nothing. Yeah, that would that really point. suck it. Yeah. Yeah, you get a guy that's really learning and taking care of business, but the company's least do didn't, and he's done everything right, but still loses everything. That that's uh, that's a hard pill to swallow, no doubt. Now here's another one to watch out for in times like this. Rates are dropping. Um, everybody's screaming. They want to get paid more. I get it. We all do, but you have to realize what's really happening. Rates are dropping. This isn't the broker screwing you. It's not the broker taking 35%. Everybody's going to struggle during this time. What, what I've seen in the past that you have to be very careful of is you're, you're looking around, rates aren't that great. All of a sudden you see this load that is significantly higher than a lot of other freight. And you call the broker, oh yeah, we, we've got all kinds of freight like this. Come work for us. And you have <laughs> to ask yourself, where did they get this rate? Why is, maybe they had good contract freight, who knows? But be very, very careful and watch them closely. Get as much money up front as you can. I would even use quick pay options more right now. I may even give up a couple percentage points if I have to, because what I've seen happen is brokers who are struggling start offering higher rates, but they're not paying or they're paying really, really late and they're juggling their accounts. They keep offering higher rates because they're desperate and they have to get their freight moved. And at some point, do not let these brokers get too deep into you. If you're running for a broker because he's got great rates, but you realize you're 10 or 12 or $15,000 behind and his payout keeps getting slower, those are really, really bad signs. Yeah, we uh, we learned that the hard way years ago, just exactly what you're talking about. Got into a down market, got into some brokers we probably shouldn't have been dealing with. Uh, learned the lesson the hard way. Definitely won't make that mistake again, but you're exactly right. You've got to be very careful of that. And the magical rate, yeah, when it's out there, that, that's kind of a tip-off. Something is, is askew, and you really got to look hard and, and figure out what's going on. 
and just one more, and then we're going to get to some calls. Lines are open if you want to jump in right now. We're going to go to calls 855-950-3835. This also applies if you're an owner-operator leased to a carrier. If your pay, you know, this week, oh, our computer system screwed up, pay's going to be late. Um, oh, oh, we don't know why our fuel card isn't working. It was a computer glitch. We'll get that taken <laughs> care of. Start paying attention really closely and don't let a carrier get too deep into you either because they can go out of business and you're stuck holding the bag. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're you're 100% right on that. It, keep your keep your eyes and ears open here. And if something doesn't look or feel right, you know, don't, don't shrug it off because, uh, we're, we're entering that phase where companies that haven't taken care of business when times were good, um, they're gonna, they're gonna struggle and a lot of them are not going to make it. So, um, you don't want to, you don't want to go down with the ship, so to speak. So if you, uh, notice something, um, investigate, you know, try and figure out what's going on. Yeah. Hey, I was going to go to a call, but I just got a message on chat. Um, somebody sent a text and they didn't want to call in. Um, they're asking, and I, I don't even know how to answer this because I didn't know this was happening. Why is the government buying truck stops and shutting them down while also blocking access to roadside truck parking all over the country? Um, I, I did notice, but it, there's always been some of this going on, you know, certain rest areas closed or parking areas closed. I, it, I didn't think I saw more than normal. It seems like I've always seen that here and there around the country. But where's the evidence that government is buying truck stops and shutting them down? I, I yeah, have a hard time believing that's happening. I haven't heard that either. It's the first I've heard it. Uh, it, it whoever is asking the question... Uh, if you could give me some more info, which truck stop has been bought by the government and shut down? If you could even give me one example that we absolutely know a government bought a truck stop and shut it down, um, I'd love to see it because I, I can't address this. I didn't. I, I, I don't think it's happening. Um, although I look around the country and things that are absolutely <laughs> happening, I would have never thought they were happening either. So. Um, yeah. Uh, exactly. So I'll just ask for the evidence. If you have some evidence, I would love to see it. Now, it's possible there have been times and, and truck stops could fall into this. We, you know, build new interchanges or we change roads or there. Occasionally, governments do buy property for roads or bridges or infrastructure, things like that. So it's possible somebody saw some story like that and, um, you know, this gets blown up into a conspiracy theory or in today's world, it's possible it's true. So um, if you have any evidence at all, send it to me and I'll, I'll do as much digging as I can and see what I, uh, what I find out. Let's, um, let's grab a call. Let's go to Kansas to get started on the phones today. Johnny, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, glad to talk to you. Hey, I called you last Monday. I'm the owner operator, but now I lost, I lost everything and now I'm doing better as a company. Yeah. Remember I lost my phone call from you. Yep. Okay. I found out, I did not know this, but the company that I was going to lease the truck to, they got an $80,000 balloon payment at the end of it. Uh, so explain um, this to me. This that, was a, you're talking about the lease purchase you were in. 
Yeah, I found that out later on that there was an eight. Yeah, after if I would have done it, then it would have been an eighty thousand dollar buyout for that truck for you. For me, yeah, that's so, just that, that's running the truck all the way all yeah. way up, and then to so, in the end of it, there was an eighty thousand dollar balloon payment. I did not know that. So, so are you ready to take your beating now? Ah, <laughs> uh, might as well. Uh, how I mean, how did yeah, you not take, know I, that? I grab a baseball. I, I, well, they they rushed me through the orientation. They they rushed us through. There were like four did. or five of us. They so. Of course they did. There's a reason for that. That should be a clue. So, anyways, what, what, no, not so. Right. Anyways, I want to go back to this. You need to take your beating so you can help other people. Here's the reason. Okay. The reason is not that they rushed you. Nobody had a gun to your head. You had at least an hour or two, at least I would think, of free time during this rushed orientation. You could have sat down and tried to read the contract yourself, and I get it. It's a bunch of legalese, and they're tough to read. You could have spent three or 400 bucks to have an attorney read it for you, and had you known that after all these crazy high payments I have to make, I have to pay for all the maintenance, I have to risk blowing an engine or losing a one box or whatever that could cost me tens of thousands of dollars, I have to put insurance on this truck, and at the end, I still have to pay them $80,000. First off, where the hell am I going to get that? Had you known that, would you have ever signed this lease? Hell no. Okay, that's what I want people to understand. And, and here's what I've heard from recruiters and fleets. It's just a standard contract. There's no such thing. And I'd like to throw an F-bomb in there for emphasis. There's no such thing as a standard contract. They're all specific. You need to know everything that's in them. And we should not be signing contracts that involve hundreds of thousands of dollars without reading them first. Right. Thank you for taking your beating. Now, okay. what can we help you with today? Okay. Now, okay. I'm driving a company truck. It's a 2018 Cascadia with a DD12. I'm, I'm sorry, DD15 engine 455 with a uh, DT12 direct drive transmission with a 261 rear end. What am I supposed to be running this truck at to get the fuel mileage? Because I'm going to get on your fuel gauges and start running and see what I'm actually getting with this truck as a company. Uh, 55 to 60 miles an hour. Okay. Well, the, the thing of it is, are you being paid by the mile, I'm assuming? Uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm a company driver right now. I'm paid by the mile, yeah. But, um, so so you, you need to take care of yourself first. Exactly. I know. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I love the whole fuel mileage game myself, but you really need to take care of yourself first, unless they're paying you a very nice bonus or you're getting compensated for driving that truck in a way that makes sense. Most fleets could care less. They just, they look at productivity over everything. It's above safety. It's above efficiency. Uh, it's above your health. It's, it, that's why they pay you by the mile. 
it's it's mile 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 there's no time value attached to your time if there was slowing down would make all the sense in the world if you were getting paid by the hour or maybe by the hour and so much per mile then it really starts to make sense for you to slow down otherwise as much as i love fuel efficiency and i like to see people do it it's really hard for me to say hey do this because it may be hurting you financially hey hey joel okay well i know we do we do have a fuel bonus so we do get a fuel bonus if we hey, get, Johnny. you know, so much, John- you know. Hey, Johnny. Yes. Johnny. You, you listening? Yes. Explain your fuel bonus to me. Okay. So the fuel bonus is if you, in the company, you run a certain amount of miles and you get your fuel bonus, like, if you're averaging like the top right now, the top people are getting over eight miles a gallon. They get around a $500 bonus, uh, I think, uh, every three months. And then if you, you know, the, the more you go down, the less it goes. So it goes in between 500 down to $175 on your full bonus, depending on what you're Every three months. That's right I, now. So yeah, every three months. It ain't even worth. It ain't even worth doing. Okay. All right. They're, Joel, making, they're okay. making a killing off those guys. I mean, if, if that was every week, yep. if they were paying you five hundred a week, slow that thing down. But yep. every three months, yeah, I, I wouldn't even pay attention to it. And here's the thing: okay. do, do right, they then, not understand okay. human behavior? We don't want to wait three months for anything. You, if somebody has to get their reward three months from now for a behavior they do today, um, it, it doesn't work that way. The other thing, okay. it's, it's really not much money in the big scheme of things. And let me ask you something else, Johnny. Does your truck have a boost leak right now? I have no idea. That's right. Nobody does. <laughs> because, 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 because I asked them and they tell me, well, it's, you know, I was like, okay, doing this, well... They just all that, you know, they say they're all about fuel mileage right now, where the fuel is, you know, please slow down. We're governed at 68. So I drive between 63 and 65 and, you know, they, but they want us to slow down because it's more in their pocket, I guess, for money wise. Well, the driver, we talk all the time about the driver having 30 to 35% control over fuel economy, which sounds awesome, and that seems like a big deal, and it kind of is, but we never talk about the opposite, especially when it comes to fuel bonus programs. The opposite is that if you have 30% of the control, then where did the other 70% go? It's at the fleet. It's how they spec the truck. It's how they maintain the truck. It's the tires they put on the truck. Are they checking for boost leaks? No, absolutely not. So 70% of the cost of the fuel going into that truck was not controlled by you. But now they want you to slow down because that's all you can do. You, maybe you cannot idle as much. But again, hell, you're, you're sitting there all night or all weekend not getting paid, and now they don't want you to idle so you can be comfortable? I doubt that they're providing you with really good other options. So I, this is, and we're really, really going to start seeing this um, a lot more. Rather than waiting three months to get a bonus, you don't even know what it's going to be. Really, in my mind as a company driver, hell, all I have to do is drive faster and I'll get a bonus this week. 
That's exactly right. That's the problem with the industry today is that there is no time value attached to a company driver. And everything is productivity, productivity, productivity. You know, since deregulation, they have pounded this into drivers. They've been brainwashed by it. And nobody even really thinks about their time anymore. It's always about miles. That's all anybody talks about. And I understand the need for productivity. But if you're serious about safety and you're serious about efficiency and reducing your carbon footprint, time value has to be part of that equation. And I am not a government regulations guy, but honestly, until the industry across the board adopts some type of time value um, <clears throat> equation into people's pay, all this slowing down, all the safety stuff in the world, the drivers are going to revolt because it's taking money out of their hand to be safe and to be more efficient. Great for the fleet. The fleet wins if they slow down. The driver takes a pay cut. It's always on the driver because we get paid by the mile or we get paid percentage. There needs to be part of that equation has to deal with the driver's time somehow, shape, or form. And until we do that, we're not going to solve any of these problems. They can speed limit us. They can put all the devices in the world on the truck. The drivers are just going to bitch, and rightfully so because their time is not being respected. Hey, Joel, let's, um, let's, let's yeah. take this back to our open and what we've been talking mm -hmm. about so much in the industry. We're dealing with two major issues right now that have changed in the last year, changed dramatically. Rates are going down, mm -hmm. fuel is going up. So we talk about mm -hmm. slowing down for owner operators to, to make things better for them immediately. You, you, you might as well slow down. The mm -hmm. rates aren't what they used to be. You don't need to be chasing this freight. It's not paying that great anyway. Slowing down puts money in your pocket immediately. And that, that's really why we talk about it. But let's tie this into all of this talk we see of just don't take that load. Let it sit on the dock. Park your truck for a week. And I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to manipulate supply and demand. The problem with it is, it's so drastic that first off, if you sit for a week, you have zero revenue. Who cares what your costs are at this mm -hmm. point? You have no revenue. And how long can you do that? And if everybody does that, the minute they all jump back into the market, the rates just go right back down again. You accomplish nothing except putting yourself a week behind. Instead, why not? And, and I know it's not going to happen, but if you're going to talk about something, let's talk about something that would actually work. What if every truck on the road today slowed down to 55? What does that do to capacity? Yeah. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Exactly. I, I mean, I've seen this stuff very clear for years and years. And, and when you start to talk to people, you know, it's honestly, we've been brainwashed to think of everything in miles. I'm surprised truck drivers don't look at a clock and say it's, it's 25 <laughs> miles past a hundred miles. You know what I mean? And they, they, they have no regard for their time. And that's, that is the biggest problem with the industry. That's why we have a hard time recruiting new people into the industry, you know, we, we always say, well, it's figured into the rate, you know, and, and we do this right now too. We're at 64 cents a mile. Really. I want to be at 1350 an hour plus overtime and 41 cents a mile. That's how I would like to see this be paid. Um, straight up 64 cents a mile. Uh, on a, if everything goes right in a day, you done well. 
Right. But what happens when it doesn't go right? What happens when you get hung up in traffic? What happens when you're detoured? There, there's so many variables that just kick your ass in, in that regard. There's there's very little consistency from paycheck to paycheck, and that's hard for most people to deal with and why we don't get a lot of people wanting to come into the industry. Young people, you know, they want a consistent paycheck. You're not going to see that when you get paid by the mile. Yeah, I don't want to see speed limiters. Absolutely not. I would fight against them. I'll, I'll do everything I can to talk about why they're a bad idea. On the other hand, I'd love to see a national campaign where we decide as drivers and owner-operators and fleets that the best thing we could do right now for ourselves, for the economy, for the consumer, there are zero downsides to this idea nothing but positives imagine imagine the pr campaign we could do as a trucking industry if we said we're doing our part for the country right now we are encouraging our drivers and our owner operators to slow down to between 55 and 60 we save fuel we drive costs down we improve profits to the trucking company now like you said we have to reward the company the owner operators get their reward immediately look you could either sit because you think sitting somehow makes a difference and you make zero money and you put yourself behind or you could go out and move some freight at 55 to 60 miles an hour and actually watch your profits go up and if we all did it and yes. we rewarded company drivers for it, we could be the national heroes in all this. We have more control over yes, what's going on in the economy than any other industry. We spend all this time bragging about how important we are. Everything came on a truck. If we stopped working, you'd starve. Well, nobody responds well to that. It sounds like a threat. But instead... It is a threat. I know, you're right, it is. And nobody responds well to that. It that, is. Nobody yeah, that, likes that. You're exactly right. Somebody threatens you, you turn around and walk away or you punch them in the face, you know, and right. it, nobody wants to hear that. I can shut you down. Who wants to hear that? How about let's all work together. Here's a speed strategy that works. We just need to change the compensation across the board a little bit for company drivers and everything gets better. You know, I, I, almost I, overnight. I, exactly. Yeah. We would see changes in weeks. If, if we could do this, if we could somehow, and look, you'll, you'll never get everybody, but if you can get a movement going, if you can get, and things catch on, and, you know, I think back, and I know we're going a long way back, but I think back during, like, World War II with Victory Gardens and people sacrificing because the country needed it, it if we could get back to that, just as a trucking industry, forget the whole country, but as a trucking industry, if we could step up and say, look, and explain to people how much of an impact this has. We've got trucks running around at 70 miles an hour. If instead they run 60, we save one mile per gallon on all those trucks. You do the math on that, and it is incredible amounts of fuel. It lowers the cost of moving everything. It makes our roads safer. I mean, we could go on and on and on. It helps the entire industry, trucking industry, get through this easier. Instead, what we're going to see, and I don't even mind this because I'm a you know survival of the fittest kind of guy. Um, what we're going to see is a huge split in the industry. Some people really just making it through this tough time with, without much difficulty at all and picking up great opportunities. We'll see a bunch of other people just go out of business. 
What about a strategy that might help a lot more people stay in the industry, help the consumer, help everything that's going on with fuel and cost? We'd be the biggest heroes around. I, I'm a survival of the fittest guy, too. The only thing you really have to stop and consider for a second is there is the safety of the motoring public. And it is a national security issue. Having a strong supply chain is absolutely a national security issue. And in order to have a strong supply chain, we need to have younger drivers, more diverse drivers coming into the industry. And as long as we are paying per mile, everything is based on productivity, we're going to have safety issues, we're going to have turnover issues. And there's just no way around it. Now, will there be some individual companies that are going to be able to really think about things and, and leverage their positions and do well? Sure, there's going to be individual companies, but overall, as an industry, we got a horrible safety record. It's embarrassing, especially in the wintertime. You know, it used to be in the wintertime, it was follow the truck drivers because they're safe. Now it's stay as far away from them as possible as you can. They're going to run you over. They can't stop. That's a good point. I read an article this morning, and I was a little confused by it, actually, but it ties right into what you just said. The article, when I was reading it, I'm like, well, this is bizarre. Why would this be happening? The government's trying to put together safety data for trucks, and for some reason, the Mm -hmm. insurance companies aren't releasing their data to them. Wow. I, I know. I thought, well, that's odd. Why would that be? They've always shared that data. That's where we get a lot of the safety data from, from insurance companies, because they track this stuff better than anybody. But I read this article that says mm-hmm. recently the insurance companies are not sharing that data with the government, and the government can't put these statistics together. Hmm. I know. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't read that. I'm going to look around and see what I can find out about that. That's interesting. But, you know, I, and, and you know this, too. I, I'll tell you, if we see these mega pileups on a regular basis, if that would have happened back in 1987, that would have been like national news for weeks, just one pileup like that. We just never saw that. I know. I, I mean, you just never, you, you never did. No. And now we see it on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, I, I don't even know how you even begin to try to get some traction around an idea like this, um, but it certainly well, seems it, like it, it would be worthwhile. Listen, it, 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 it all goes back to that time value, and you got to break that, that brainwash mentality of pay by the mile. You know, so many people are, have been so brainwashed for so long. It's, that's the only way they can think about it. And, and, you know, when you start to talk about, you know, how do you put time, time value on somebody, they see it as a gimmick or that somehow you're trying to take advantage of them. And, and that's definitely not the case. That's something that I've been working on with, uh, with a couple of the guys that work with me at Alpha Drivers. We're, we're working on this really hard trying to figure out how we can bring that time value into the end because nothing's going to change until we do in terms of safety, in terms of driving turnover and bringing people in the industry with without the time value part of it we're just going to keep doing what we're doing we can put speed limits on we can put all this handy dandy safety stuff in the trucks but it's just that's taking money away from the driver unfortunately when we're paid by the mile so um they're mutually exclusive productivity and safety generally don't go together 
just doesn't. And in most industry is just, they're concerned about productivity from a business standpoint. That's what you have to be. You really don't care about the safety. And you certainly, as a business, you're not really saying, Oh, I got to do my part for national security. You're not saying that either, but those are, those are the two big things that, you know, government probably needs to be looking at in this case. I mean, that's what they're here for really our national security and supply chain is going to directly affect national security. So, you know, as much as I hate to say we're probably going to need some government help here, we're probably going to need some government help in terms of putting a value on driver's time. And it's only the company drivers. Now, your owner operators, they will probably be positively impacted by this because I think rates probably go up and they probably stabilize to some degree um, across the board if we can get something in place. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I think if there were ever a time that, that we could make some headway on ideas like this, now is the time. We're, we, when, when we're talking about 40-year yeah, records in almost every, not good records, record high fuel prices, rates dropping faster than we've ever seen before. Um, we're talking about fuel rationing already this summer. I, w- when things are this bad, and again, I've always said, this is when there are opportunities. Now is our opportunity as an industry to figure out a way to step up, become the heroes. We, we can have a bigger impact on, on the problems in the country today than almost any other industry and make a positive change for all of us going forward. Owner, operators, drivers, everybody. Let, let's, let's take that. And again, I, I don't know how to keep moving this idea forward other than what we do talk about it, get other people to talk about it, talk to your fleet about it. If you know somebody at the executive level at your fleet, sit down and talk to them, ask them for their opinion on this. Um, maybe we need to, to um, get some, you know, influencers, thought leaders in the industry on this show with this once in a while. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, some of the work that we've done on this inside of Alpha Drivers, I, I can share with you, um, so yeah. you can see what what kind of approaches that we're we're taking on this. And we definitely don't have everything figured out. I floated out on social media. I get a lot of guys that want to beat me up because of the whole government involvement, and I want that type of feedback because I want to understand how it's impacting everybody. You know, you get guys on there that'll just go, oh, you're an asshole because you want the government involved. And then you get other guys that say, hey, I don't want the government involved because of this, this, and this. That's the kind of feedback I need and I want so we can kind of structure things. Let's look, somebody's going to make these decisions. It might as well be the people in the industry. You know what I mean? Eventually, somebody's going to have to make these decisions. And if we leave it up to politicians, they're going to screw it up even worse. I agree. Let me jump in with that idea about, you know, do we need government to fix this or can they help fix this? I'm probably one of the most vocal, outspoken people in the industry about government regulation. I'm a libertarian. I, I, you know, make things open and easy access and competitive and let us all compete and we all get better. But here's the way I can look at things right now. We already have a ton of regulations in trucking, right? Mm -hmm. Some of them suck. Some of them are necessary. We might not like them. But what if we did this? Because I'm not big on piling on a bunch more regulations to try to solve this problem. Not that I don't think it could work. It's just I've seen government screw things up too many times. 
So I'm always leery about regulation. So I'm the guy that will give you that kind of feedback as well. But what if we did this? And mm-hmm. I don't, it probably can't happen, but if there was a way, what if we sat down and looked at all the regulations first before we go write new ones? Let's look at all the regulations that are already in place and go, look, this one's really counterproductive for what we're trying to do. Let's replace this one with this one. Well, that's, uh, that's the first thing we've done. And the very first one that kind of takes our time value away is our exemption from overtime. Yeah. yeah. So if, if, we just, if we just get rid of a regulation right there, that goes a long ways towards starting to fix things. Why in the hell are we exempt from overtime? We shouldn't be. You're right. Why? Here's another no, one. We were in the what? past because, because they could never track hours accurately. But with all the devices we've got nowadays, they know exactly what the hell they know when we go to the bathroom. Here's so another. We can do overtime. Yeah. Here's another mm-hmm. regulation that's been around forever. Most people don't realize it or it never dawns on them. And we don't think about, um, you know, we hear the parking issue. There's a parking problem that hurts productivity. It hurts the driver. He's got to waste his time looking around for a place to park. And I get it. There are places in the country where it is difficult. I've always said, look, the government isn't going to fix this problem. You better figure out how to solve it yourself. But one of the reasons we have this is because of a regulation that's been around forever that you can't have any commercial activity in rest areas. Why not? They do it on turnpikes and it works really, really well. I love driving on the Ohio Turnpike. Yeah. yeah. I love those service places. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Yes, yes, that's another one that probably should be gone. That's exactly right. You know, let, let's, uh, let's open these things up and let some people make some money. And if you can make some money by providing parking spaces, you're going to have a lot more parking spaces, aren't you? Exactly. Exactly. So again, it's not that we have to have a new regulation to solve truck parking, which is what they keep trying to do. Even our industry, we have associations that keep going and fighting for more government regulation to solve the truck parking problem. One of the best ways is to get rid of a regulation. Don't add any new ones. Just get rid of the one that stops better rest areas from existing. Right, right. And that's the type of things we need to do. We need to go through all the existing regulations and find the stuff that's outdated that doesn't make sense anymore and, you know, get rid of that. And that would probably go a long ways to, you know, to start to solve the problem, no doubt about it. Yeah, so when when you say or even if I say now, you know, we need government help on this, our approach will always be this first. We just probably could have improved two issues by getting rid of two regulations. Get rid of the overtime exemption, get rid of the restriction from commercializing rest areas. We didn't add any regulation, but we need the government to do this. So just because we say we need to work with the government or we need to, doesn't mean we want to add more regulation. Ultimately, I think we could come out of this whole thing with less regulation, just better regulations. Yeah, right. That kind of catch the trucking industry up with today's technology. You know, we're, we're working on rules that were a lot of times from the 1930s through the 1980s. A lot of this stuff is outdated. It needs to be, you know, brought into the century. There's no doubt about it. We've got some really cool capabilities in terms of monitoring time and monitoring safety that, that, uh, 
you know, it would just be better for the industry as a whole if we kind of align the regulations to to uh, coincide with the technology we've got today. There is no excuse in the world for us to be regulated by the hour and paid by the mile. Uh, in fact, I think in Europe it's illegal. Yeah, well, and here here's a good example of what you just said, how we keep writing regulations on top of regulations that aren't working already. If I remember right, hours of service was first introduced in like 1936. It was a long, long time ago. It right? didn't yeah. change yeah. for like 65 years. And then we made the first change. And now we've made a bunch of little changes over the last 20 years, which haven't amounted to a hill of beans. And then what we did was we took brand new technology, ELDs, and just piled it on top of old regulations that didn't work. Why didn't we take that opportunity to say, look, we have this ELD, we have this new technology, let's go back to the drawing board and rewrite hours of service before we make the ELD permanent? Right, and and I, I know there's a disconnect in here somewhere with the Department of Transportation. You know, who exactly controls uh, how wages are um, are uh, regulated? I, I don't know the answer to uh, that specifically. I believe but it's the Department that of That has to be, probably, that has to be taken into consideration here because as long as, like I said, as long as we have that mutually exclusive disconnect between productivity and safety, we're just, we're done. You, you cannot make this work because as company drivers, you're going to, you're going to rob money from the company driver in order to be safer or to improve the national security. And why should they pay for all this? It's company drivers. Yeah, I you know, agree. it doesn't, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. And if we, you know, that, if we can raise the company drivers up, the owner operators and everybody come right along with it. I, I, I think it just, I think it has a stabilizing effect on the market because I think we stop our driver turnover. It's going to reduce driver churn. There's just a whole lot of things that will happen. And, you know, everybody's the first thing they're going to say, Oh, but inflation, it's horrible. It's horrible. But just like you talked about, what's the difference if we're out there running 75 mile an hour with $6 a gallon fuel and we're, we're just taking that fuel surcharge and, and giving it to the big oil. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. I, yeah. I mean, we're, now we're just giving it to the people instead of giving it to the oil company. Yeah, you know, if we look historically when we end up in recessions um, or we have high inflationary periods, or I can go all the way back to the 80s when we had stagflation, part of the problem is all of the things we do are too extreme. And we're seeing it worse than ever right now. One of the ways you slow down inflation uh, is by raising the cost of borrowing money. If people can't borrow money as mm -hmm. easily or it's too, it's too expensive, they slow down their spending a little bit, and that can take some pressure off inflation. The problem is the Fed almost always waits too long. This time they absolutely waited way too long. Their response now is going to be drastic. They're making big increases. You can't make these big swings. And, and that's one of the mistakes we make. And now all of the talk is park your truck. Well, that's an extreme response and, and we'll get a big swing in the other direction that will make things just as worse, only different, just as bad, only different. Instead, mm -hmm. 
let's take a, a more subtle approach to these things. Instead of parking your truck and nobody has any revenue and it disrupts everything, slow down. Slow down. We, 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 we have yes. a, a much, much bigger impact, but in a more subtle way that won't crash the economy. Now, one other thing I want to talk about, and I'm also going to, uh, oh, I think we have a call coming in. Uh, looks like Matt. Um, one other thing I just want to mention, and I don't know what we do about this. Uh, I can tell you that over the years that I've been on the air, when I think of topics, I want to talk about things that are important. I do my opens. Sometimes the things I want to talk about the most are the things nobody responds to. I would love to do more shows about teaching people about cost, about P&Ls, about profit, about you know understanding your numbers. Every time I try it, I, I talk about it in my open. I get zero calls about it. They, and that's fine. That's what this show is. You, I'll talk about what I want to sometimes. You call and we'll talk about what you want to talk about. Numbers, accounting, profit. Sure. It's one of those shows I just can't get any traction around. But I'll tell you what the worst one is. The worst topic for me to ever talk about if I hope to get any calls about it, safety. Nobody wants to talk about that topic ever. Well, you know, it's almost been drilled into us that's kind of an evil thing. You know, because you, you, as a company driver, you look at safety and go, "Oh shit!" You know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take a hit to my paycheck. They want me to slow down, so you don't want to talk about. It. But now, think about it. If you had some time value attached there, yes. then it actually, hey, I'm gonna make some money to slow down. Then it really starts to make sense, and then a professional can be a professional. He can make the correct decision without having to sacrifice pay. And that's the bottom line problem with the industry right now. When we ask a company driver to do the right thing or to make the right decision, his paycheck suffers. There you go. Hey, we're uh, Matt's on the line. We're going to talk to Matt. And then uh, I think we'll probably end up wrapping this up here in a little bit. If you want to jump in, lines are open. We'll take some calls. It's Friday. I wouldn't mind taking a break today but uh, if there are calls i'll take them uh matt welcome hey good morning uh joel i'm probably not too far from you i'm over in tupelo mississippi right now and headed for uh, yeah I, uh, yeah i was i was We're in that area this morning. directions <laughs> yeah i gotta i gotta go up 55 in missouri but um gotcha so the whole transmission, you know, we'd love to talk about the 18 speeds and that, and but the mm -hmm. twin counter shaft versus a single counter shaft. Uh -huh. I got a feeling I'm going to be putting a transmission in my older truck. It's a well, the truck's a 2002, but uh, um, I just do a blank. Uh, 2WS Cat. So it's a 70 mm -hmm. pin, same as the 6NZ. I'd love to build an experimental thing. I know mm -hmm. the automated transmissions are all probably going to be impossible to hook to the CCM. Mm -hmm. But is there like a single counter shaft transmission, a manual that you know of that's good? I'm thinking probably uh, in Western truck parts. Eaton has a go through. Eaton has a 10-speed manual that I believe has a planetary in back, so you get rid of. Actually, when you say dual counter shaft, there's actually four. 
Um, there's yeah. two in the auxiliary section and then two up front. So I, I believe, and I'm not sure, and, and the guys at Eaton were supposed to get back with me um, after I had that big blow up out on Nine Mile a Gallon Club about this where we got to the big argument. But I, I believe they have a 10 speed that has a planetary in the rear, which eliminates some of that stuff. I will see if I can find the model number for you and uh, get it over to you. You may want to look at that. You had re-ratioed your truck, didn't you? So you've got a, a more aggressive downspeed gear ratio in there. 253. Yeah, okay. So the lower, you know, reverse starting gear. gear. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let me, uh, let me do a little bit of investigation on that. I, I don't think you're going to be able to put like any of the new endurance or anything like that on that. Um, I don't think they'll talk to each other. Uh, and John would know way more about that than me. So maybe that's a question for him next week. If, if he's back from, from racing, um, he may be able to answer that. The, uh, the Eaton endurance, um, it is a twin counter shaft, but they optimized the lube system on it, and it has a planetary in the rear, um, a, a pretty damn efficient transmission. It does have that that lower, it's not as low as the I-shift, but it is a lower start, and it gives you overdrive. I think it's maybe 15 to 1 or in that area reduction. So you'll definitely notice that probably worked pretty well with the 253, and then you'll have either overdrive or direct available at highway speed. And, and uh, um, so l- let me do some poking around. I'll talk to John a little bit and uh, see what we can come up with. Boy, and I was going to talk to John about this too, wondering if we could even program mm-hmm. one. Because obviously, like the 12 speeds, they never made those mm-hmm. manuals. And. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't, you know, the, um, the linkage and the shaft and all that to make it a manual isn't even a possibility as far as I know, but could we write a program where I could put an automated manual in here and just push the button? And yeah, see, see that, that you're, you're out of my, uh, my area of expertise. John would know more about that than what, what, what I do, um, I just, I don't know the answer to that. It would be nice. Uh, one of the things though, and I, I wrote a little bit about this in one of the articles that I posted, um, the new engines today, like Volvo, we have this dynamic torque and, and essentially the engine is tuning itself as it goes down the road based on your weight and grade and, and the weather conditions. And that's part of the reason why you see the fuel mileage that I'm getting out of my truck in the 11 mile a gallon range. I literally just set the cruise, don't have to watch a boost gauge, don't have to watch a priometer. I don't have to do any of that because the engine is tuning itself every mile it goes down the road. Without that ability, we may be able to get hooked up and you may be able to put your foot on the floor and it, it might shift the gears, but you're still going to have to pay attention. Hey, um, hey I don't know that we could get it to the point where it works like the Volvo. Yes. I, I just had a thought, you know, you're talking about how mm-hmm. efficient your truck is without much input from you anymore. We've always talked about the drivers 30, 35, mm-hmm. have even seen 40% of fuel economy. And we know that technology has yep. been trying to change that forever. It, and it should. That, that's a, a good yes. pattern to have. You know, if you look at how yes. autonomous kind of technology has moved into vehicles, the next thing we should probably start seeing in trucks, because we already have it on a lot of cars, um, kind of the automatic steering 
where they at least maintain a lane kind of thing. Um, I like to be ahead of the curve. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of what we're going to call inexperienced drivers now. We might not be able to call them steering wheel holders anymore because they might not oh, even have to hold the steering lookers. wheel. <laughs> What's that? They're windshield lookers. <laughs> yeah, or seat warmers. So, yeah. Yeah, there you go, seat warmers. But my next truck will actually have that dynamic steering on it. So when I get this next truck, I'm going to pack it up. I'm going to drive out, and I'm going to put your ass in the seat, and I'm going to let you go out and take her for a few hundred miles and and see what you think. There you go. There you go. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say we could call them computer watchers, but that's already been broadcast too. <laughs> I know it yeah, pretty much. Site, you have, um, you know, the, the satellite. I, I've actually talked to two people that they got a phone call from the dealership saying, hey, you know, this um, code is up on your truck and, you know, we can get you in here. And they didn't even know it. Yeah, I, we're starting to see that at our own shop. A lot of times, stuff doesn't even hit the dash, and Shane will call me, and he says, hey, you know, this was wrong? I said, no idea, you know, and, and they get it so far in advance, it's never a big deal. It doesn't shut the truck down. They can schedule it in with normal maintenance and take care of it. So, yeah, they've made a lot of advances, and even our updates are coming over the air. You know, they're programming trucks where we don't even have to hook up to them. They can send you know, new shift logic right over the air and update the truck as we're, you know, setting on our break anywhere in the country. So it's kind of nice. Hey guys, it's, uh, it's Friday and we're allowed to do weird stuff on Friday. So, um, I just added somebody else into our conversation here and I got thinking about it. We've got Joel on the line, the crazy 11 mile to the gallon guy. We've got Matt on the line, gets all kinds of crazy fuel economy. I just added Steve Crone. Um, you know, if we keep this up, we might have to change the name of the show to the liar's counter because that's what everybody's going to think is going on here. <laughs> Welcome, Steve. Well, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Say, uh, I, I wanted to call in. I, I want to make sure I got this straight. So if I slow down, I'm going to save fuel. Is that correct? Yes. I did. I, just wanted to make sure. Okay. Yes, and, and well, I, I want to offer some money. evidence to that. I know you've already slowed down a lot. You've done all kinds of other crazy out there stuff. You get wild fuel economy on older trucks. So we have the two extremes here. We have Joel, who it seems like gets a new truck every month, and he gets to play with all kinds of new stuff. Um, <laughs> we have Steve, who probably has you know more miles on his truck than we can count, both of them getting incredible um, fuel economy. So we've got both well, ends of the spectrum here, but Steve, I remember reading, uh, an article and this goes a ways back. They were trying to see what the absolute best fuel mileage a class eight truck could get. Uh, they did this test in Europe and I think they were 90,000 pounds and they actually got over 14 oh. miles to the gallon cab over, um, all right. kinds of crazy technology, but they did it at 38 miles an hour. So there's still room for you to improve. Uh, well, yes, yes. Uh, 90,000 pounds. Let's not get crazy here. You know, I mean, <laughs> now if, if you start me, I, I know there's one guy that posted, uh, he filled up in uh, Reno and he drove to Phoenix and he filled up again and he got 12 something, you know, but, uh, 
kind of downhill. So, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. If I, if, so if you set me with 90,000 pounds in the right conditions, I might be able to do that. But, uh, um, yeah, right now I'm kind of the extreme. I, uh, uh, last week you guys were talking about, uh, feast, feasting on the, uh, poison apple of the high rates. Well, I've been feast, feasting off that apple since last October, but it kind of ended. So I, I have to do regular type freight. And, uh, <laughs> I was in the office and I look and I like, Oh, look at this here. This, this loads 3,200 pounds. And it picks up in green Bay and goes down to, uh, uh, what was it, Trenton or uh, no, Barry, Illinois? Actually, it was stuff they make dynamite out of. <laughs> but anyways, uh, and then I uh, had an uh, uh, agent call me up. He had a forty-one thousand pound load going to Milwaukee, you know. And I said, "Well, geez, that's close to home, but I don't know if I want to do that." I'm, I'm I'm going for a record this time, you know. And so I ended up finding a load <laughs> that was nineteen hundred pounds coming up to uh, just about to Minneapolis. So. Uh, I it, it's uh, I'm gonna fill up when I get uh, down to DeForest, uh, Wisconsin. There, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to see if they can recharge my air conditioner. Now, this is something that Joel doesn't have to put up with. It was brutal the last couple of days. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine. I can it imagine. Nice. It, it's nice today, but yeah, both windows open and the papers flying around. And oh, it was yeah, yeah, it was miserable. <laughs> But once a year, I got to charge it up. Nobody can find a leak because how do you find a leak that it takes a year to leak down? You know, so. but uh, with two point over two point three million miles, you know, you run into issues <laughs> like that. You know? You, you know, I could probably get you in a nice new Volvo. I could probably yeah. make that happen. <laughs> yeah. Well. I've I've got stuff to do on the trailer yet, you know, and then uh, having all that high paying crate, I didn't care what it weighed or when it had to get there, or, you know. I mean, I was just making money, and you know, when you get sure. down in the nines, it kind of hurts your uh, eleven mile of the gallon business, you know. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's no doubt. <laughs> Steve, I got a but question. It, it, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Um, what do you have for closing the gap? between the truck and the trailer? Oh, well, I've got a uh, green gap. They don't make them anymore, but I have 10. I've secured 10 anyway um, for my trailer dealer there because, you know, nobody, nobody cared about fuel economy anymore, so they had them laying around because they had to do warranty work on, uh, uh, what's the big printer by us? Uh, ah, whatever. But they had their trailers, had them on, and, they had them around for warranty work, but they're not getting them anymore. So there was extras, and I picked them up pretty reasonable. So, but I, I kind of like it. It sticks out further than what the um, uh, you know the nose cone does, and it's a little more resilient too. Because when I've got a roof extender that's originally when I put it on, uh, uh, I didn't have anything on the trailer, so I didn't have to worry about it. But I, I maybe have to move it back a notch. I, I went into a driveway yesterday where it kind of collided with my roof extender a little bit. Uh, now, the nose cone, that's pretty rigid. You know, that's not going to get out of the way here. You know, you might might crack it a little bit or something, but, uh, you know, it, it, it bounces back pretty good. So I'm pretty happy with it. 
Because yeah, I ended up with a bigger gap when I did my cutoff, and uh, either need to what? put more cab extenders on or something. Uh, yeah, well, there's the, yeah, you kind of, but July yeah. would be a good time. I'll be taking a few weeks off, and maybe we could work something out. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, extending the uh, cab and the track is about all you really could do because with the reefer, you know, that was always my issue too. You know, there's just nothing I could do uh, to the front of the trailer. One of the reasons I got a new trailer, and the lift gate and the reefer, and uh, I wish I would have got rid of the reefer a long time ago. I like this, not having to apologize for not having a wood floor or I'm a, I'm a half inch narrower, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's, uh, I don't have to worry about that. Hey guys, I'm going to jump in here because, um, I talked about this earlier and I got a response. So I want to make sure, um, I respond to this. The guy who was questioning whether the government was buying truck stops and shutting them down. Um, he has a specific, uh, it's located just outside Indianapolis heading West on I-69, exit 214 North on the Highway 13. There's a truck stop that was abandoned three years ago. It was a booming truck stop. He looked up the owner info because there's a ton of parking there, but it's being blocked right now. Uh, he says the state of Indiana is listed as the owner and purchased it for $1.5 million. Um, I, I can think of a couple possibilities that aren't conspiracy theories that um, usually if a state where a local government ends up with property, even though it says the purchase price was $1.5 million, it could have been taken back because of taxes. If the company had that's what I was going to say. Somebody didn't pay their taxes. Yeah, if somebody didn't pay yeah. their taxes. If somebody, if somebody owed. Right. Yeah, somebody <laughs> owed $2 million in taxes. So, right. You know. So it, that's yeah, a possibility. I, I'm not saying that's the answer, but, you know, we don't. Although it is Friday, we could just call Friday Conspiracy Theory Friday. <laughs> that might be fun, too. Um, <laughs> but I, I do like to try to find some on, other possibility. Go ahead, Matt. Your train of thought, Kevin, you know, for widening roads and all that, I I don't know that exact area. I don't run Indiana hardly at all anymore, but I believe that's the section they're converting everything to Interstate 69. They'll be widening things out. Yeah, New ramp. Yeah, so there's at least two explanations for why this may have happened. Um, you know, we could certainly dig digger, dig deeper. And if anybody knows of any place else this is going on, I, I don't. I don't know of any reason why the government would be doing that other than for what we talked about. They took it back because of taxes. They, you know, took it over because they're going to expand. They need the, the land. Um, but we'll, we'll certainly keep an eye on this topic and see if we can figure anything out. All right, uh, you guys go back to what you were talking about. I wasn't paying attention. I was reading. I'm not sure. Oh, I, was oh, I think we were pretty close to wrapped up. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let me see. Uh, I think we have one more caller coming in. So Matt, Steve, I'm going to drop you guys. Thanks. Uh, great stuff. All right. Um, yeah, quite like welcome. This, Thank you. Yeah. I, li I like this Friday kind of 
casual stuff, and we will... Uh, uh, Angie, go ahead and screen that last call. We'll we'll take that call and then we'll wrap this up. Um, Joel, while we're waiting to screen that call, um, you know, every mm-hmm. now and then you mention alpha drivers. I've read some things, but I, I honestly don't know mm-hmm. a lot about what you're doing on there. Is that something? Can can we, you know, do a show or an open on that? You can talk more about alpha drivers and what it's all about. What you're doing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it basically, I just started a small um, testing and consulting group, mostly to just kind of formalize my relationship with, with Volvo as far as when I work with powertrain and the engineering staff. You know, we work with shift logic and engine controls and, and emissions and that type of stuff. And I, I provide feedback to the engineering staff, and that's mostly what it's for. Although I've got a couple of people working with me nowadays, and we're starting to look at some of these issues that impact the, uh, the, the trucking industry overall. And, you know, being that collectively, the guys that I have in the group here, you know, we've been around, Jesus, between the three of us, we're probably looking at 150 years. <laughs> um, I just think it's, it's, it's good to have some input from people that spend some time on the ground at the grassroots level. And instead of having all these politicians and, you know, all these suit and tie type guys making the decisions on, you know, what we're doing. And, yeah, you know, I, we, we've had some attempts by people, but it, it just seems... I don't know. They, you know, they get these guys out protesting and they're shutting down highways and flipping people off. And we get, (laughs) we get stupid little things like black smoke matters and, you know, dumb, dumb stuff like this, that how productive is that really? Uh, And I, you know, I would like to come in and, and, and maybe approach it in a more, a more professional way, a more coherent way with an actual strategy and, and, you know, bring some influencers into the equation so when we do walk into a a government maybe meeting where we do have some some people that can make a difference, we can actually present a coherent plan that makes sense. So I, I couldn't agree more. Every time I've talked about these protests over the years or shutdowns or whatever they're talking about, I've said they're a total waste of time. They're going to do more damage than good, and they always do. But I've said that that doesn't mean yes. that there isn't a way to do this. The first thing that any no, movement I, I agree. like this requires, though, that I haven't seen till maybe right now, I haven't seen good leaders. I, I've seen, you know, a lot of infighting, a lot of arguing, a lot of egos, a lot of ideas that haven't been thought through, a lot of ideas with no plan behind them that aren't going to work, and then they fizzle out and we end up with another black eye. So I, I've, even though yeah, I've yeah. spoken against these things... I've said I think there's a way to do it right. So that's exactly what you just outlined, a a way to have a plan, to think these things through, to test some things, and then to present ways we could make this industry better. So I love that idea. Uh, Right. Egos, arguments, and threats are never a solution, and that's all we bring to the table. I I mean, literally, that's all we bring to the table as an industry. And, you know, somebody that is willing to look at the owner operators issues, the company drivers issues, and even the fleet owners issues 
And, and you got to have familiarity with all of these things in order to drive an agenda that makes sense for the industry. We can't single out a group and say, let's make a bunch of rules and regulations that benefit this one group because the rest of the people suffer. And is it going to be perfect across the board? Absolutely not. There, there will be no perfect legislation. We, we know this up front. But can we make the industry better as a whole? I absolutely believe that can be done. So I love that. Um in the past when I've brought that up and it's a natural response and I understand it when I say, look, we need good, strong leaders for things like this. The response is always, well, why don't you lead it? And my answer is because I'm not a leader. I'm really not. I've said it many times. I know what my strengths are and I know what they're not. And I, I, leading is not one of my strengths. I know how to do it. I've read enough books on it. I've been to seminars. It's just not one of the things I like to do. And if you don't like to do something, you're mm-hmm. just not going to be good at it, no matter how much you know about it. And I've said, I have right. other strengths that, that I could really contribute to something like this, but not as the leader. Um, I, I can certainly right. influence. I have reach. I you know, can plan and test and, and I can advise, but I don't want to lead. So I, I, I love the fact that you're out there doing this and- you bring a, a ton of value to the show here. I mean, I appreciate that. The listeners appreciate that. You bring us a lot of good value. So anything we can do on this show to help you with Alpha Drivers and any of those missions, don't hesitate. Yeah, I'll put some stuff together and uh, shoot it over to you and let you take a peek at it. And uh, maybe we'll have some discussions after that and and uh, see what, maybe can be done. Um, I, I, I'm not opposed to doing what I can do to help the industry. You know, I, I've been around for 35 years, I guess now, and, and the industry has been, been good to, to me and our, and our family. Um, could it be a whole lot better? Absolutely. Do I want to see drivers coming into the industry have to eat the kind of shit that I ate when I came up through? No. Um, I, I, you know, the stuff that I went through when I first come in the industry, uh, it was ridiculous. And, and, you know, I just simply didn't know any better. Um, so I I think there's a a lot of things that can be done. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that can be done here to make our industry, um, an industry where people kind of look at it and say, Hey, I, I I think I want to be a truck driver, not because, well, I have to get into trucking because I can't do anything else. And that's, that's basically where we're at today. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of well-run companies and there's a lot of skilled individuals in this industry. And, uh, but in general, overall sense, I guess the perception is, and a lot of it goes back to these protests that you were just talking about that give us a black eye. The perception is, is that oh, you become a truck driver because you can't do anything else. That's the perception out there, I think. And it's wrong, uh, but as an industry, we do a a horrible job at promoting ourselves. You know, we, 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 uh, we shrug off, you know, the, the whole environmental part of things, which is popular today. Uh, again, we pay by the hour and we don't value driver's time at all, which is a, a horrible thing. Our safety record is, is really gotten poor over the years. Uh, so, you know, we, we've got a little bit of a reputation going on in the eye of the public and it's probably well-deserved. 
Yeah, well, it is well. Unfortunately, deserved. you know, I, 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 I yeah, I, I hate to say that, but that's that's just the fact. I mean, we have not done a good job. Yeah, stereotypes exist for a reason. That that stereotype isn't just made up. It 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 occurs because there's enough truck drivers who fit that stereotype. But I'll even go one step further. Um, we've had an association in this industry that I think has done. Um, a lot of damage in certain areas. The one thing that comes to mind is if you can't admit your mistakes and just say, yes, look, this has been a problem in the industry. We're going to fix it. If you can't admit them, if you actually mm-hmm. actively work to cover them up, things will only get worse. And we've seen that. And I'm going back to what might not mm-hmm. seem like a big issue, but in the public's eye, it is the whole issue of our piss bombs being you know littering the side of the road and you oh, know horrible yes cleanup crews yeah. have to wear hazmat material because of it and we had an association in this industry when that issue came up several years ago they made a big deal out of trying to say that that's not just truck drivers the cars are doing it Give me a break. Nah, come on. That's exactly right. Walk across any truck stop parking lot in the middle of July and you about gag. Exactly. I, that's so, just the truth. So and I'm not it's saying not car, that. It's not cars pulling and they're doing that. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not saying some car doesn't go down the road once in a while and do that. Of course they do. But the vast majority of that by far, it's not even close is truck drivers. And we should have just admitted it and said, here's our plan to try to fix this. Instead of saying, oh, that wasn't us. Come on. Yeah, we, we, as an industry, we have to look very hard in the mirror. And the problem, I think, with all the organizations we've got now is they represent very specific groups. They're not looking at the industry as a whole. And when you're just looking out for your specific group, it, it, you're not going to get legislation that's going to work for everybody. And Good if it point. doesn't work for everybody, it's not worth having. Good point. And, right. and that's the problem. We've become, we've become segmented. Yes. I, I agree. Let's, uh, let's grab this last call and uh, let's go out strong on a Friday. Uh, Jacques in Louisiana. Welcome to the program. Uh, good morning. You know, listen to stuff sometimes you gotta blow over and let your brain quit hurting. It makes you think too much. But uh quick question for Joel. Is there a place that I can find that you have the specs for the trucks of like rearing uh transmission, all that that I can go look at? If you're looking to buy a new Volvo, um, all you have to do is go into a Volvo dealer and tell them you want an iTorque. That gets you the right transmission, the right rear axle. It gets you everything that you're going to need. Um, I do have a list of specs on a Facebook page called Joel's iTorque. Um, if you find that, you scroll through there, you will see a list of specs on that, the next truck that I'll be getting here in mid-June. Hey, hey Joel. Okay. That, that's kind mm-hmm. of interesting. Volvo just made ordering a very technical truck about as easy as ordering a Happy Meal. I we worked on that for quite a while to make that happen. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, you can go into any Volvo dealer, just tell them I torque, and you get everything that you need. Okay, so the real reason I called, um, I've been talking to the guy. I've been working for him for a dozen years or so, and I bought a truck and put on with him. 
and we've been discussing about how to get better fuel mileage. And, you know, I've, Bruce is taking my truck, and it came up about three-tenths miles a gallon, you know, with his tune and all that. And I thought about putting a 13-speed to the 10 that I got, the automatic, but it just... But I'm spending too much on maintenance every year. It's about 50000 You know, I need to put that in a new truck. But So somebody said on the show the other day that, like, $5 a gallon, and I think it's eight and a half miles per gallon, your fuel is free. And I know that over $1.25 is the fuel surcharge, and I've been having a conversation with the guy that owns the company. How do we do this, and how do we get the fuel for free? And, how, you know, it's like they almost pay you when you're getting that good of fuel mileage. How, how does that work, and can you explain that to me? That's what I need to know. Yeah, well, everybody's situation is a, is a little bit different, so I can't speak to your individual situation. What I can tell you is I just got a really nice letter from a guy that I helped spec a truck. It was a an iTorque spec before the package was available. He put it together. His old truck was getting 6.1 miles a gallon. He's getting 8.54 now, and he's got about 17,000 miles on the truck. And when he does his math, it more than makes the truck payment. It's actually putting one one cent a mile in his pocket plus making the, the truck payment by going to the new truck. So he's thrilled to death with it. So without knowing your exact wow. details, yeah, so, it's it's hard for me so to, Joel, to, to say exactly how it's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll jump in because I think he's asking a different question, and I don't have all the math right in front of me right now. <laughs> This would be one of those things that I could put together a couple screens and do a video, and it would be much easier to understand. What he's getting at here is... I'm going to do your course this weekend. Yeah, okay. The fuel surcharge is based on a truck that gets six miles to the gallon. And the idea behind a fuel surcharge is if you get exactly... And i got to throw some caveats in here. Six miles per gallon is not a rule. It's not a regulation. It's just kind of an industry average on where we calculate fuel surcharge. You mentioned $1.25. That's another part of the equation that isn't a rule or a regulation, but it's kind of an industry standard. So once you understand how a fuel surcharge is calculated, and it no matter what happens to fuel prices, I'm going to use a crazy extreme. Fuel prices could go to $10 a gallon today, and a truck that gets six miles to the gallon and gets the average fuel surcharge will not lose one penny in profit. They will be exactly the same at $6 a gallon or $10 a gallon or $2 a gallon. Their profit will never change because the fuel surcharge makes up for the profit or loss. That's how it works. It's easier if I could show it to you on paper. Well, what happens then is if a truck that's getting six miles to the gallon stays even because of the fuel surcharge, a truck getting seven miles to the gallon actually makes more profit. A truck getting five miles to the gallon actually starts losing money. Now, like I said, fuel can go to $10 a gallon. The six mile per gallon truck is still the same profit. The five mile per gallon truck is getting hammered. The seven mile per gallon truck is more profitable. So we can take that idea and we could calculate it out to the point where we say, 
Oh, look, when you get to, and I'm just going to pick a number, 8.6 miles to the gallon at this fuel price, your fuel surcharge now actually pays for all of your fuel. You have no fuel cost. And at some point, if you do even better or fuel price goes even higher, now your profit is actually going up and there's no cost for fuel and it's we could say they're actually paying you to put fuel in your tank. I'll do the course this weekend. That'll help out a lot, but wow. Yeah, it's much easier to understand because it's a bunch of math. If I can show you in graphs and charts and numbers, and, and there is some of that in the course, but that's what people refer to when they're saying fuel is now free. Um, one, you have to be getting better than six miles to the gallon. If you're not, it's not happening. You're not getting free fuel. I don't care how things change. If you're getting less than six, you're getting screwed and you're paying more and more for fuel every time it goes up. But you look at numbers like, um, well, Joel, right now we know that today's fuel price and your fuel economy your your cost per mile for fuel is 55 cents a mile. Well, the surcharge is more than 55 cents a mile right now. So what we're you're one of those trucks. You're getting free fuel today. Hello. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm listening. I'm just thinking. So that's, that's how that works. It's, it's not necessarily that somebody's paying you to put fuel in the truck or you're getting free fuel, but we can say that that is exactly what's happening if you understand the math. I didn't know if it was something with the $1.25 that you didn't no, it's not really that complicated. It's just a matter of we have to base a fuel surcharge on something. So we use $1.25 as the base price. We use six miles to the gallon as the other calculation. So again, you have to understand that in a, in a perfect world, and we really don't want to see that happen, but in a perfect world, we would have a fuel surcharge system that actually took into account what you really paid for fuel and what your true fuel economy is, and the fuel surcharge would keep everybody equal. But that... that yeah, because a lot of those now, it's just a flat rate, and there's no... Well, they say it's in there, but well, the price don't down much. Boy, we... We could do a whole show on this. Even though they say it's a, it's a flat rate, it, it's, it's affected. Now, it was calculated at some point. The, sh- the shipper and the carrier have an agreement and a calculation, and when they recalculate, it's usually once a week when the fuel prices come out. That's what sets it. Now, that carrier offering a load to an owner-operator, they can pay you any way they want. They don't have to pass on the fuel surcharge they charged or calculated. They could just tell you, look, we're adding 300 bucks to this load. That's your fuel surcharge. That's why this gets confused. Because most owner-operators who are talking about it or trying to understand it have never been a part of calculating and charging it to the shipper in the first place. 
Well, I know the load coming back to California was eleven five four months ago, where fuel was two dollars and thirty cents or something. You know, I just paid four sixty five there with the discount in Mississippi. So yeah, it's a lot of change. So right, yeah, yeah. It um, like I say, it. I, I wish there was an easier way to explain this, but there's so many variables, and people think that they're set rules. They're not. It's it's whatever gets negotiated between a shipper and a carrier. Then whatever's negotiated between the carrier and the owner operator, the broker and the owner operator. It, it's a confusing topic. And uh, most people don't understand it. And I think we'll do one of those shows where we have some video and we have some screens and um, we can make it a little easier to understand if you can see the numbers. Uh, Jacques, I'm going to let you go. Uh, Joel, any final words before we wrap this up today? Slow down. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> just, just about it. Just slow down. Um, yeah, if you're, you know, as things tighten up here, that's the one thing that you can do that, you know, it pretty much works every time. Um, you're going to improve your fuel mileage. You're going to drive down your maintenance costs, um, all of which are going to be extremely important as things start to get rough here. And you'll be contributing to the uh, the well-being of the nation and the industry because everybody who slows down lowers production somewhat. Capacity starts to shrink a little bit. We're all still making money. Yep. Uh, it truly is a win-win-win, especially now. So, um, Joel, awesome show today. Thanks for your contribution, and we'll uh, we'll try to do it again next week. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. I'll get you that alpha driver stuff too. Excellent. Excellent. I'd love to talk more about that. All right. We're going to wrap this up. It's been a, uh, it's been a great week. Boy, I I just, I got to tell you, I had a lot of fun this week. Uh, Shows have been long. Uh, One day this week, I did four hours without a break. The other day, I think I did three without a break. Um, I love that. Uh, Two hours today. Not bad. It's Friday. I'm going to go spend the rest of the day in the garden, I think. I have a lot of canning to do this week. I, uh, I loaded up the smoker yesterday with a couple big butts, a couple racks of ribs, a couple whole chickens. Uh, so I've got good eating for the weekend, and I'm going to can a bunch of it. Uh, I think I'm going to do a tutorial on the canning. A lot of people have been asking for that. So um, we'll try to get a tutorial done on that and get that posted up on HealthyTribe.com. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.